St. Thomas gets a bad rap. Forever and always, he is remembered as Doubting Thomas. Not that he made the most profound expression of faith when he says, my Lord and my God. No, we remember him as Doubting Thomas. But is that even fair, right? In the way that the story is told to us, the apostles on the evening of Easter Sunday are locked in a room for fear of the Jews. But Thomas isn't with them. He's the only one not living in fear. He's out there somewhere else, not afraid of facing the consequences of being a disciple of Christ. The ones who are living in fear get the gift of seeing Jesus risen on Easter Sunday. And so when they go and tell Thomas, we've seen the Lord, is he so wrong to ask to see the holes of the nails in his hands and the hole in his side? All he's asking for is to receive the same gift that the other 10 apostles received. He's just asking for the same thing that they got. So why should he be put down because of that? But Jesus kind of does. He reprimands him at the end. Why? Because St. Thomas didn't trust the testimony and the witness of his brothers. But St. Thomas teaches us something important about the nature of faith for us as Christians that we sometimes get wrong. See, for us, faith isn't something that starts with me. It's not something that I express by my own free will that I believe in God. The faith is something objective. It's something outside of me, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead in time, in history, in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. This is an objective reality that exists. And that's where it starts from. See, what draws out faith from St. Thomas is when he sees and encounters Jesus risen from the dead. Jesus comes to him. And the faith that we profess is a faith that exists apart and outside of us that God offers to us as a gift and then asks and invites a response of faith from us. And we do that in a real way every Sunday when we profess our faith. The creed which we pray, we didn't come up with it. We didn't write this profession of faith in our own hand, this is what I believe. This is the faith of the church. And we speak this creed because it is the faith of in Jesus Christ, handed down by the church, that as we pray it, we're allowing by grace our minds and our hearts to be conformed to that gift of faith handed on to us. It's why the way that the gospel ends today is St. John the Evangelist is telling us, these things have been written down for you so that you might come to believe. See, the reason Jesus reprimands St. Thomas is because he knows not everybody through the ages is going to have the gift of being able to see Jesus risen from the dead in the flesh because he has to ascend to the Father. But what is given to us is the testimony and the witness of those who have handed down and shared. And so this is the faith given 
to us and for us. See, we often think that doubt is a threat to faith. That if I start to doubt something about what the church teaches or doubt belief in God or in Jesus Christ, it's a threat to the faith that I do have. Right? I need to get rid of it. Or maybe that means that everything that I once believed isn't true. And so we stay in this kind of place of anxiety when we start to doubt things. What if doubt wasn't a threat to faith? It wasn't for St. Thomas. His doubt led him to Christ. Right? If he doubted to the extreme and allowed doubt to shake his faith in Jesus, he would have gone. He would have been the disciples on the road to Emmaus, saying, story's over, I'm done. But he was still there on the eighth day, on the second Sunday of Easter, waiting at the possibility that Jesus would come and reveal himself to him. St. Thomas's doubt led him to wait for Jesus to reveal himself risen to Thomas. Doubt isn't a threat to faith. Why? Because the faith is something that is much more profound and bigger than my own expression of it. And this is a gift. Because what does that mean? It means that when I experience doubt, uncertainties in the conviction of my faith, I don't need to immediately resolve that within my own mind and my own heart. I place myself within the church and the faith that is bigger than me and allow the faith of the church to supply for my doubt. I don't need to figure it all out myself and if I don't figure it all out, then I have to walk away. I trust that what has been handed on through the church, handed on from the ones that I love and who have believed before me, supplies for the faith that I am lacking. See, doubt isn't the threat to faith. Inattentiveness is the threat to faith. Because if the faith in Jesus Christ is something objective, something in history, in the world that exists outside of me, that that same Jesus Christ is the Son of the Father who created the world, then God is continually revealing himself to us through the world we live in. But when we become inattentive, we start to close ourselves off from being open to receiving that revelation for us. And it's not an accident that in the Western world, where we are living in the most affluent time in all of history, that inattentiveness is exceedingly high. Right? When I have the resources at my disposal to create the life that I want, the life that is formed in my own image and likeness, the natural end is that I become inattentive to the world outside of me. That through affluence, if we don't intentionally strive to be attentive to what God has created and what God is revealing to us, we will slowly allow our perception of the world to be only created by ourselves. And so then faith has no place in our life because faith 
doesn't fit with what I believe the world is to be. Inattentiveness is the threat to faith. But then there's another part that we need to keep in mind, whether it's for ourselves or people in our lives, that sometimes is also a factor in drifting from the faith. Inattentiveness is our own fault. We choose to be inattentive. But there's another aspect of faith that sometimes is of losing faith that is not our fault. See, if faith is captured in the person of Jesus Christ, then what is intimately tied with the experience of faith is trust. Because it's rooted in relationship with someone. And so for those who have had trust broken in the experience of faith, we need to be gentle with that. Whether that's from the church, whether that's from an experience through a priest, whether that's through the experience of a loved one who is supposed to be the one to pass along the faith and their witness did not conform to the faith that was supposed to be handed on, the trust that is supposed to exist in that relationship is broken. And to regain that trust for the sake of being open to faith again is a slow rebuilding. And we need to remember that for those who have fallen away. If it's their own fault, smack them upside the head. But when it's something that is a result of broken trust because of the imperfect witness of the church in the world, of its clergy in the world, or its members, we treat that with delicate hands. One by one, we rebuild the trust so that in rebuilding of that trust, they can be open to the gift of faith again. St. Thomas reveals to us the nature of faith, which is that it begins as a gift and it invites our response of faith. And so for us in that, how often do you pray for the grace of faith? See, faith is one of the three what we call theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. And these are theological virtues because they're different than what we call the cardinal virtues. The cardinal virtues grow by nature of practicing them. The more you put them into effect, the better you get at that virtue. Faith, hope, and love are not that way. They are theological virtues because they originate in God. They are gifts first that we accept and allow to grow within our life. So how often do you pray for the grace of faith in your own life? Asking for that gift to allow that yes of faith to grow in you so that you can stand with St. Thomas and say, my Lord and my God.